welcome to Launch, the GCC podcast. I'm your host, Marty Duran, Director of Communications for the Great Commission Collective. We're a global network of churches partnering together to plant churches and strengthen leaders. On today's episode of Launch, Dave Harvey and I are joined by Francois Turcotte. He's the president of Simbeck Seminary. This is a great conversation. It's enlightening as to the cultural realities in some of the areas of Canada that a lot of folks outside of Canada aren't familiar with such nuance. Uh, Dr. Turcott is eminently qualified to speak about this. It's a great conversation. We talk about modernity a little bit, postmodernism, but we also talk about the reality of education in a difficult time and what seminary education might look like uh, going forward. So here we are with Francois Turcott. This is Marty Duran with Great Commission Collective, and I'm happy to be on another episode of the Launch Podcast, uh, co-hosted with Dave Harvey and our guest today, Francois Turcotte. Dave, uh, when you and Francois logged on, it was like a family reunion almost, so I'm going to kick it over to you and let you do the introduction. I was very excited to see Francois on the other side of the screen because we haven't seen each other in a while. Francois, I'm just so glad Uh, we were able to arrange this interview. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure, my brother, and it's good to see you also uh, still thriving and with a smile on your face. Now, I was trying to remember the first time that that we met. I I was placing it at the Gospel Coalition Conference with Francois Picard. Is that is that accurate? Exactly, yeah. Okay, yeah. We we took a coffee and talking and uh, yeah. That's uh, that's how we we were introduced, and then we had a meeting with uh, UNCJ in a hotel room and uh, all that. So yeah, yeah, we've had a number of conversations. I've had the privilege of coming up to Sembeck to to be with you, do some training up there, which is a memory that I I, I treasure. So so let me just get us started here, Francois. You know, we we often hear uh, more stories about guys feeling called to be pastors. But you're a seminary president in Quebec, and I'm curious, and I think I think our listeners would be curious to hear your story of how you experienced the kind of call, or or what was the pathway to become a president at a seminary. I think my path was uh, particular to our context uh, and where the former president kind of. Uh, decided to invest time with me uh, and uh, introduced me to the seminary slowly and mentored me for about eight years uh, working with him. And after that, uh, passing the baton to me uh, as I learned from him for eight years, like how he uh, build stuff and get this seminary moving forward. So it's for me, it's like just a natural way. It's I feel it's more like a Paul Timothy model of the way I became president. So uh, it's really, and it's actually the model we try to implement in our seminary for raising new leaders. And that was Francois Picard, right? It it was, yeah, yeah. yeah he was my mentor, and he still is in a sense. So uh, still my reference. And were you employed at the seminary? Were you a student at the seminary? What, what was the context in which you guys were able to be together that much? That's the seminary where I studied. 
actually, in our context, it's a mix of local church and seminary. It's a dual approach. So, but my I was trained in my local church with seminary as Sembeck as a seminary uh, to to do the theological education, and uh, that's where I graduated from. I serve as a volunteer on the board for many years. And after that, when Francois uh, invested some time on me, uh, after a while, he asked if I can join him part-time. So I worked for him a day a week, and then he moved to uh, more part-time. And at one point, I had to decide it, and I uh, taught the Lord uh, guide me to go for full-time seminary position, mentored by Francois full-time, and then uh, took the presidency. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, so, so Francois, I was <clears throat> I was on the website recently, just as I was thinking about our discussion together, and and under the under the who is Sembeck section of the website, um, the the document there is amazingly specific on what the seminary does and what it does not do with respect to the church. In other words, you guys are really, really intentional about ensuring that the local church is not simply upheld, but that their role in education is affirmed and and part of the partnership of the seminary. So I'm just curious, like, where did that robust ecclesiology come from? Uh, I think there's something uh, that is historic and something that is really providential. So the historic part is when the gospel was planted in Quebec, which actually very recent, it's, uh, uh, it's just like uh, 50 to 60 years old. Um, uh, one of the missionary coming from states uh, were going to state to try to recruit and didn't find anybody who wanted to come in this mission field that was harsh and rude and prison and everything. And um, so um, he said, uh, the, the, the guy from his seminary at Wheaton said, you need to train them yourself. <laughs> And uh, you need to ask local church to be involved in the training of the new generation. So part of the history was like, he took that uh, mandate seriously and said, we need to train men, but they are in local church and we cannot get them out because they're only one year old saved and, and the, 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 the new church plan depends on them. So uh, there was like a historic Thing we couldn't con contour, but the the other thing is while doing it, we realize there's something biblical all of it. The first thing is I think that we saw in the Bible is Ephesians chapter four, when it's quite clear that God has provided people to equip others, and those people provided by God are given to the local church, uh, and given being given to the church to equip others, uh, we realize that what we're doing is not that far from the scripture. We just dig into it and make this more intentional and better and more professional through the years. So uh, so it's, I think, two factors that bring us this clearly there. 
Yeah, one of the things I think about when I think about Paul's ministry, um, you know, certainly he is he's unique in redemptive history, and we want to allow him to retain that unique kind of role. But he did represent uh, an extra local connection to the church that ended up being formative on the church and training leaders in the church and resulting in that, you know, his ministry resulted in the church. So he, he was kind of uh, alongside the church, but he was also producing the church in his church planting efforts. And that, and I, I don't know, does that, does that provide a way of explaining and justifying the, um, the existence of seminaries and, and why they're important in, in the I future think, of the church? Yeah. I think there's clearly uh, yeah, a good connection you're making David. Uh, uh, I think Paul was in a, in a sense outside and inside and helping from the inside, but being from the outside. So the seminary should be this outside part, like helping, supporting. So not every local church has to uh, do everything by themselves. Mm. I think the key a principle here for me is at Sembeck, we leave the steering uh, to the local church. So the outside part, uh, which are contained with specialists or gifted people like apostle and stuff like that, uh, are, are the supporter of the process and not taking over the control. And what I feel in most cases, when the seminary took control of it, uh, the church was, for the most part, uh, forgotten or left over, and they had no word to say. Like, you give your member, and you forget about it. Yeah. You know, it's not connected to. Yes. So this is what I don't see in Paul's model. Uh, I think the local church was the, clearly uh, the movement where training should be done, even if they use outside resources. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Paul, Paul and the and his helpers existed to for, for the church and not vice versa. Um, yeah, and it's it was a special context of first century local church, but so there's some things we cannot like transplant, but there's certainly principle uh, that I see in the New Testament where people were trained in the context of local church. That's why Paul said to uh, Titus to to uh, raise up elders in the context of the church there on the island. So it was not like we need to create a school or you need to go to Rome. And when you're ready, you're going to be back. It was not kind of this kind of mentality at all. Francois, why don't you take us into the context of, of, of Canada and, um, and talk a little bit about the, the specific threats that you see and that that you're trying to arm students to see uh, threats to the gospel in the Canadian context. Uh, our threats right now is like for many parts of the world, it's coming from the culture. Uh, I think the culture is uh, framing uh, um, a worldview that is probably the most secular we have ever seen on planet Earth. I mean, uh, it's 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 really like um, 
no, not even no God, but no, no supernatural, no nothing kind of worldview when everything is, is read through those lenses. And it could impact the gospel for those who bear it because you so much are soaked in the world where God is not even part of the equation and and there is no like spirituality really or if you are it's okay it's very personal but uh don't really talk about it it's really like it and so this kind of um world we live in is putting a lot of pressure especially on the younger generation they are raised they go to school and just like believing that let's say you have a different point of view on transgenderism uh you're you will be just like treated like someone who needs to be in a psychiatric hospital i mean it's just like there's no middle ground so uh it's challenging for the new generation to raise up and just be filled by the spirit do the mission they're they're pressured by the culture so much they're most of them have been crushed and left the church. So it's it's very difficult for that. Yeah. Because it's like in America, many cities will be known as um, secular or uh, New York City or Seattle and stuff like that. But nothing is comparable to here because we're not post-Christian from a Christian era. There was no gospel. There was no evangelical church before secularism. So so there's not even someone who grew up in a liberal church somewhere. There's nothing like that. It's just like totally ground zero in terms of... Uh, so it's more and more coming like first century, uh, but not with the multi-god uh, like they add, but more secular gods, so uh, if I can say. <laughs> yeah, oh, that is really fascinating. So, I mean, I think <clears throat> this wouldn't surprise you, but I, as a... As a as an American, I would say we grow up largely ignorant concerning Canadian history. Yeah. And as an American Christian, I would say you know the majority of us grow up ignorant regarding the the, the move and work of the Spirit uh, and God in Canada. So, talk a little bit more about the history of. Christianity in Canada. You're you're saying it really, really did the, the clock didn't even start prior to 50, 60 years ago. Is that is that what you yeah, said that's earlier? For, but we need to separate Canada from Quebec here. Like Canada has a larger evangelical background than Quebec, uh, because of the language and the culture. Uh it was more connected to uh Britain and England. Canada well, Quebec was connected to France. So mm. They kicked out the king, they kicked out God. And so that impacted the way we were built. And so we live in the same country, but two different culture. So Canada is very diverse. Alberta will be the, the, the most Christianized state uh, in our context, but BC and Quebec will be similar. Uh, but Quebec is really like the, the most uh, unevangelical land in the country and mm -hmm. this is where it was planted like 60 years ago uh and and um but it was planted after a catholic denomination the, the domination i'm sorry and this 
Roman Catholic Church were medieval, very superstitious and imposing rules that were killing people. So when people uh, did the quiet revolution, uh, it was a revolution with no arms, it was a cultural revolution. They really switched to secular. <clears throat> so we became secular from a kind of a religious, no grace, no gospel. So we're not only post-Christianity, we're, we're, we're post-Christianity in a sense where Christianity was never there, the real one. So uh, it's the land of no history of what it is to know Jesus Christ personally and be transformed by the gospel. So it's really like, um, and now it's fully secular and the youth going through this transition right now is challenge and uh, it's, it's very hard for them. That's why so even my son, uh, even my personal son is a story of it. You know, my son didn't choose Christ or didn't, was not called by Christ, if we want to be more Calvinistic here. And he, um, he, um, he told, uh, he, he's expressing to me uh, what was for him to grow in a Christian home in Quebec. And I didn't even realize this myself as a parent. And I think no parents realize that we were in the Bible, but we didn't realize the... Um, the challenge our kids were going through because it was not just like you have, you are, you can have your own idea. It's like your idea are dangerous and you are a bizarre people and you need, you need to be uh, eliminated by the culture. You're too dangerous. So it's not just, and we were just like raising them like it's not there. And I think we had, we were missing a pair of glasses. Uh -huh. uh, actually, I'm, I'm, quite clear on that today i was not going through that 10 years ago mm -hmm. wow. Dave, can, can i jump in with a quick question yeah, yeah, please. uh francois your uh your analysis of the difference between quebec and the rest of the country was really fascinating especially the connection to the to france and the question that came to my mind was it sounds like quebec is still in the enlightenment project um that, that modernity is taking hold and rationalism rules and all that kind of, is that accurate? Oh yeah, totally. And in Quebec, those who do the promotion of that is the culture, the artists, the, uh, the TV program, the, the uh, internet. So it's, and it's, um, it's, it's not even questionable that you reject that. Mm. So uh, that the, the guy who talks about us, the, and the best way will be Charles Taylor, the Canadian philosopher is and sociologist is uh, is just describing what the world we live in, and uh, there's tons of people just studying the writing of Taylor. He describes so well what we're going through. Hmm. So, would a church historian locate the the move of the gospel in Quebec um, in the Catholic Church? Or were there other things going on um, 50 to 100 years ago where that did begin to, the gospel began to be preached, the church began to become, uh, what small church there is began to become established? Yeah, the first churches were established by actually missionaries that came. The first one to come were coming from Switzerland, 
through a movement from a revival over there. Uh, and some, because of the language, decided to come. And they were like the first settlers. Some had to go back because of disease. One uh, that was the most influential was a woman, actually. She kind of persevered and stayed. And she's responsible of uh, having a dozen of churches uh, being planted uh, in the south shore of Montreal. And, and it was really like the beginning. Uh, that was a little bit longer ago, but before the 1900s. The problem is when the Catholics saw there was like an attraction to Protestant, Protestant uh, I don't know how to say in English, it's too complicated, mm -hmm. <laughs> sorry. <clears throat> and they actually uh, gave a war, they burned their church building they didn't, they couldn't go to school, they couldn't get jobs. So all the evangelical, the first kind of uh, mini revival, they move all to states. And if you go northern part of the United States, you have Quebecois name, like people like Bouchard and, and Tremblay, it's because they moved there because they couldn't stay. It was just like impossible to have a job. So Catholic were very, very harsh and controlling the land. And it took the quiet revolution when they had no control like they had and they lost, because as you, you need to know, and before quiet revolution, the Catholic were controlling the school, the universities, uh, the hospital, the social services. Uh, it was not governmental. It was religious, controlled by Catholic uh, people. So there was no way to have another option. So when they lost, when the, the young people in their 20s uh, get rid of the religion, they didn't want to move on, uh, then uh, it was there that God provided a little revival in Quebec, where from about 500 Christians, we became 5,000 in okay. about 10 years. Wow. So uh, it was a major impact there. So, uh, so it's, Francois, it's, often, how, it's often when there's a cultural shift that God is working, there's a connection there. So how would you describe the, the church planting um, momentum in Quebec right now? And, and how does, how does Sembec try to partner to help make that happen? <clears throat> By God's grace, the founder of the first pioneer to planted uh, an evangelical movement in Quebec were all uh, church, church planter-ish in their mind. The need was there. If they came in here, it's because they saw that there needs to be churches. And even though when churches were planted about everywhere, they kept this, they kept this as like a priority number one. There, there's 8 million people in Quebec we're not even 1%. So there's almost 8 million people going to hell. So the passion to church plant is like your answer number one. And when we were studying what's going outside, the first uh, and uh, the tool God used everywhere to uh, kingdom growth is church planting. So we kept that at the art of our movement. Even mm -hmm. though we were small, we add small churches, they, we add in our DNA to plant and to plant and to plant. So it's always there. 
So sembek, which is like the extension of the movement, it's like the training part of a movement, uh, was uh, from day one ready to prepare people to not only be pastor, but sometimes be church planters. So it was part of the culture and the discussion. So key things were there in the past. We always had a track for church planter in, embedded in the seminary track. And we always stay close. Like me as president, I'm friend of the church planter uh, director. So, and this always make connection and discussion we always adjust and we always serve. So Sembeck will always try to serve what the church planting movement needs. So what we actually did recently is three years ago, we created uh, a, a training track to be trained at the seminary all around um, a church planting movement uh, assessment. Like this is on all you're going to be evaluated, we're going to build you up to do, to be there and be faithful mm -hmm. and be, and succeed and move forward. So it's so much connected uh, Dave, and it's hard to explain, but it's, it's not two, two different things. Well, it's, it's just really encouraging to hear, um, of a seminary. And I think there are some here in the States as well that are seeking to be really intentional, not only about partnering with churches and recognizing not simply the legitimacy, but the primacy of the church, but also then taking the additional step to invest in church planters, to train church planters, and to you know see the church reproduce. So I'm I'm really excited about about what you guys are doing there. <clears throat> it's always a challenge, but we just uh, we know it's what we need to do, and because of certain. Uh, advantage like we don't have mega churches so it's not like an option you know you're like if there's a neighborhood with no gospel church uh, and there's 150,000 people living there you need to go and plant there so so it's really I, I don't want to take credit for all of that there's some but it's God's grace in most of it because uh, there's so much need. like my local church where I'm an, el an elder uh, the neighborhood just beside us is 150,000 people. Uh, there's a couple of ethnic churches, like African churches, but no multi-ethnic gospel church. And, and we are sending one guy with part of our church uh, this fall for church planting because they need a church. And there's another neighborhood in Montreal 150 also, a Muslim neighborhood, no gospel church there. 150,000 Muslim live there. And nobody has reached in, you know, moved in. It's it's like a missionary call, you know, so, but we're praying for that. And God is sending like two missionaries right now. So we're praying they can move in that neighborhood and do the first gospel church in this neighborhood. So uh, that's great. <laughs> yes yeah that is great um so you know i i i want to move to you know to kind of wrap up but i i'm thinking about now you know ministry in in a covid era and um I, i'm sure that for you guys you had to move a lot of stuff online that seems to have taken place across the globe when it comes to 
educational institutions and uh, and Bible schools and seminaries. Do you think, Francois, that the the shift to online training represents uh, a threat in any way to to the formative experience that's supposed to come with seminary? Yeah, if you're a formal seminary, I'm not against formal seminary uh, when I say that, but when you're a formal seminary and everything is like driven around teachers that are famous and people come to this place to hear from that teacher, I mean, the COVID thing would have made people realize that uh, content transfer does not real, really need a classroom. It, it just needs to be accessible and we can do it and people are getting used to that. So uh, what, I like, what I like from a model like us where on the, the, the one who's driving the car is a local church, they are putting new people in the car, they are mentoring them and we're just providing help and support like the church wants. I think we were not that much affected. Like, I mean, I think we didn't have to cancel much of anything. Mm-hmm. And, and people were still there trained and mentored. And like the, 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 the local church never really closed, even though you cannot meet. So, so but uh, formal setting, like bringing a student in and he has to move and be there for four years, I think the after COVID will change many things in that way. And the movement is there. Even in the United States, you have more and more churches that want to have in-house stuff controlled by them. I mean, mentored by them. Even a guy like Tim Keller is using RTS, but everything is done in the campus of local church. John Piper is doing the same thing. A lot of guys are trying to uh, bring the seminary inside the life of a local church. So uh, I think it's a model of the future and COVID has just proved that more and more, my point of view. Uh, You need to, we need theological education. We need content to not be drift away like Ephesians 4, 17. 1617. We we need to have men who go deep and do doctorate degrees, but we need to have the local church be in control of the process and the doctoral people gravitating around and supporting and and giving what they have through their gifts and uh instead of the inverse. Like I'm I'm a seminary president and I'm supposed to spend all my time with doctors, but what I do is I spend all my time with local churches, mentoring leaders and be with them and and phone them and just always be connected to local church and and also be there with the church planter and supporting them. So um, I think this is precious. Well, Francois, thank you. Uh... A lot. Dave, do you have anything to add? Dave, let me, I want to ask you, um, do you see this as a, um, as a move that's coming? Do you, do you see that this type of seminary education is going to expand? I do. Oh yeah. I, I think that, uh, I think that there's, that a lot of institutions have, 
it's similar to what, what we've done is we seize the opportunity in, at GCC in the middle of the pandemic to immediately launch an LMS, a learning management system with the goal of being able to load content on that. And uh, I think that, that a lot of institutions did that and are gonna be running toward that. And I think there are certain sacrifices that are made you know, in, in, in building a program exclusively around that. But I also think that there are opportunities to come with it to extend out the content into different places that would have never, it would have never gone apart from an online platform. So it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm trusting that God's gonna use it for his glory and the churches, more churches will be planted as a result. Francois Turcotte and Dave Harvey, thanks so much for being on launch today. It's great having Francois here. Thank you, brothers. Thanks for your heart. Thank you for listening to Launch, the GCC podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, why not take a moment to do that in your favorite podcast app? Also, rate and review the podcast when you get a moment. That helps us with search results and recommend us to your friends, maybe other pastors that you know who will benefit from the content from this podcast. Also, don't forget to check out our website if you haven't done that already. It's gccollective.org. That's gccollective.org. And there's a lot of helpful information. There's articles. There's how you can join the GCC, whether a church planter or an existing church, and plenty of other content that will help you grow spiritually and encourage you in your leadership journey.